One of the things that we always say, uh, you hear say in the aftermath of tragedies such as the one that just happened in Paris, is you hear, pray for Paris. You know, pray for New York. Pray for Paris. Uh, and we did that this morning, and, and, and the church should continue to do that. But I think the, the tragedy highlights our need to think about and to pray one particular petition from the Lord's Prayer on a regular basis, uh, and it's thy kingdom come. Thy kingdom come. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Uh, the shorter catechism asks, well, what, is, what does that prayer mean? What are we supposed to be praying when we pray that? And it says, when we pray this, we pray that Satan's kingdom would be destroyed and that the kingdom of grace may be advanced, ourselves and others brought into it and kept into it, and that the kingdom of glory may be hastened. That the kingdom of glory may be hastened. When we're praying, thy kingdom come, we're praying that the enemies of God and of his people would be converted or, or done away with. We're praying that our lives would be lived more and more in submission to God and to his word. We're praying for the victory that Jesus had already, has already won would reach its consummation, that he would be acknowledged as king in all the earth. We're praying that we would be able to rejoice that, that the battle is over and that the victory has been won. Thy kingdom come. What, what in the world does that have to do with 1 Samuel chapter 11? 1 Samuel 11, I think, gives us a picture, a, a snapshot from the Old Testament of what it looks like when the kingdom wins the day. Now, this is not a permanent victory, but it's a victory. And so I think it gives us a little insight uh, into what it looks like for the kingdom to come. So let me, um, let me read this for us. 1 Samuel 11. And we're going to read starting in verse 1. This is God's word. Then Nahash the Ammonite went up and besieged Jabesh-Gilead. And all the men of Jabesh said to Nahash, Make a treaty with us and we will serve you. But Nahash the Ammonite said to them, On this condition I will make a treaty with you, that I gouge out all your right eyes and thus bring disgrace on all Israel. The elders of Jabesh said to him, Give us seven days' respite that we may send messengers through all the territory of Israel. Then if there is no one to save us, we will give ourselves up to you. When the messengers came to Gabeah of Saul, they reported the matter in the ears of the people, and all the people wept aloud. Now behold, Saul was coming from the field behind the oxen, and Saul said, What is wrong with the people that they are weeping? So they told him the news of the men of Jabesh, and the Spirit of God rushed upon Saul when he heard these words, and his anger was greatly kindled. He took a yoke of oxen and cut them in pieces and sent them throughout all the territory of Israel by the hand of the messenger, saying, Whoever does not come out after Saul and Samuel, so shall it be done to his oxen. Then the dread of the Lord fell upon the people, and they came out as one man. When he mustered them at Bezek, the people of Israel were 300,000 and the men of Judah 30,000. And they said to the messengers who had come, Thus shall you say to the men of Jabesh-Gilead, Tomorrow by the time the sun is hot, you shall have salvation. When the messengers came and told the men of Jabesh, they were glad. Therefore the men of Jabesh said, Tomorrow we will give ourselves up to you. 
and you may do to us whatever seems good to you. And the next day Saul put the people in three companies, and they came into the midst of the camp in the morning watch and struck down the Ammonites until the heat of the day. And those who survived were scattered so that no two of them were left together. Then the people said to Samuel, Who is it that said, Shall Saul reign over us? Bring the men that we may put them to death. But Saul said, Not a man shall be put to death this day, for today the Lord has worked salvation in Israel. Then Samuel said to the people, Come, let us go to Gilgal, and there renew the kingdom. So all the people went to Gilgal, and there they made Saul king before the Lord in Gilgal. There they sacrificed peace offerings before the Lord, and there Saul and all the men of Israel rejoiced greatly. Would you pray with me? <clears throat> Father, help us as, as we approach your word now. Uh, help me to, to handle it faithfully. Uh, give us ears to hear uh, and, and work through the preaching of your word now. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to look at this this morning uh, kind of in four acts, a, a four-scene play, if you will. And the first scene is this. The people are under attack. The people are under attack. Uh, chapter 11 starts with Nahash the Ammonite attacking Jabesh Gilead. And maybe that's the first time you ever heard all those words in one sentence. Uh, the, the Ammonites were Israel's enemies to the east. The Philistines were Israel's enemies to the west. And so if, if the state of Georgia were Israel... Uh, and then to the, to the east of it, uh, South Carolina would be where the Ammonites are, and to the west of it, Alabama would be where the Philistines are, okay? And this town that's been attacked by the Ammonites would be kind of right along the border of Georgia and South Carolina, or maybe, maybe about where Tekoa is, somewhere in there, okay? So it's, it's relatively close to, to that, that end of Israel. And it would be kind of strategic. It was near the, near the Jordan River. And so the Ammonites have come in, and they're laying siege to Jabesh Gilead. And the Israelites very quickly say, hey, you win. They, they, they give up right off the bat and make a treaty with us and we'll be your servants. And Nahash says, all right, I'll make a treaty with you, but here's how this is going to work. You have to agree to have one of your eyes, your, your right eye, gouged out. Now, commentators speculate that this may have been a, a military thing to, to make it harder to aim during battle. I, I, it may have just been Nahash was a, was a bad dude. Um, in any event, at this point, the Israelites rethink surrendering. They're like, well, I, I don't know about all of that. Uh, will you give us a few days so we can go see if we can find somebody to help us? And Nahash says, okay. And it feels like one of those things, like if you're watching a movie and, and Thor or some superhero is about to be killed, and then suddenly the bad guy decides to go on like a 10-minute rant, giving the rest of the Avengers time to show up and save Thor. That, that's kind of what this feels like. Like Nahash just wants to spend a few days gloating and, and talking trash. But, but in any event, at, at this point in the story, God's people are under attack. God's people are under attack. Now, that may not sound like much of a profound point to make, but, but this is not an unusual position for God's people to be in. Uh, Jesus, in John 15, said this, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. 
If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. First uh, Peter 4 verse 12, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. It's not unusual down through the history of the church for God's people uh, to be under attack. Uh, according to tradition, John was the only apostle who was not martyred. Uh, many of the other disciples were either killed by the sword, uh, some of them were crucified. Uh, today, uh, ISIS, while at many times killing indiscriminately, as we saw this weekend, has also at times specifically targeted Christians uh, to take their lives. In, in many Islamic countries, it is hazardous to your health uh, to proclaim the name of, of Jesus Christ. Uh, in China, restrictions placed on believers by the communist government there have, have forced the church in many instances to be an underground church. Uh, a Muslim cleric in Indonesia recently said, we will not stop hunting Christians and burning churches. Christians are Allah's enemies. Uh, in America, we go to Starbucks and can't drink out of the cup we want to drink out of. You know, it's just, uh, uh, you know, we do have things in America where Christians are increasingly don't have the rights that we once had, and that's probably going to increase, but the persecution we face pales to what many Christians face throughout the world. But we do face difficulties. It may be things as simple as you don't want to go along with what your employer wants you to do because you feel that it's dishonest. Um, people get frustrated at you for the stands that you take because you say, you know, that's wrong and we're not going to go in that direction. And so we, we face suffering in different ways. Uh, we also find that we can be our own enemy. Uh, I was, was reading a, a book on addictions recently, and the, the author was saying, fear yourself. Fear yourself. Because isn't it true what James says, that even after we're converted, we have these desires that we're prone to, to follow after and go in the, in the wrong direction. And if it's not enough that we have outside opposition, at times we feel like we're under attack from ourselves. Uh, a few months ago we read in Ephesians 6, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Under attack. It's not unusual for God's people to be under attack. Now, let me say three things real quick about that. Uh, number one, if you're, if you're not a Christian and considering Christianity, we'd love for you to come to know Jesus, but count the cost. And Jesus himself says that. Count the cost of what following Christ really may involve. Uh, if you are a Christian, remember, secondly, if you are a Christian, remember that, that there is unseen opposition to you and your faith in the spiritual world. That, that, that Satan is, is against your marriage being healthy. He's against your children growing in the faith. He's going to oppose you when you try to do things that are good for the kingdom. He doesn't want to see these things happen. If we don't believe that, 
we won't see any need to, to take up the armor of God uh, that Paul talks about in Ephesians 6. And so we're going to walk onto the battlefield every day as it were with, without our weapons, without our armor. And so we have to believe that we really do face opposition uh, from an unseen spiritual world. And then thirdly, if you are in one of those places where it's just very real to you right now, that you sense, man, I, I am under attack, and I, I know what, I know what uh, he's talking about, and it even feels like I'm losing right now. Remember that this is not uncommon for God's people. Don't be surprised by this, we're told in Scripture. Uh, take heart in who your God is. Uh, take heart in the fact that, that he is on your side. Take heart in the fact that, that we're told is he, if he's given Jesus for us, he'll give us all things that we need. And so take heart, even if it feels like you're under attack and you're losing. Secondly, scene two, God's people respond. God's people respond. So first they try to make a treaty and they, they sign out that's not really what they want to do. Uh, and, and then they send messengers out and they go to Gabeah. Uh, and the people hear the news and the text says they start to weep. They wept aloud. Now, we've been kind of picking on the Israelites and the way they've responded in different situations throughout our study of 1 Samuel. Uh, you know, they, they try to use the ark of God like a lucky rabbit's foot. They try religious manipulation. They turn to gods other than God. They, they demand a king instead of relying on God. Uh, and here... They just start crying. Now, for all that we've picked on them about, I want to say that at this point, this is actually a legitimate reaction on their part. That they are, they are weeping, they're despondent because of the situation in which they find themselves in. Yes, you'd like to see more of a, a turning to God in the midst of this, and for maybe for some of them it, it was, but I think so often we try to, to flatline the Christian life. Uh, some of us try to remain stoic in the face of tragedy. Some of us become cynical. Some of us have, have no idea what to do with it. But the Bible actually gives us these rich resources for us to use, to make use of during these times when we are under attack, during those times when life is hard during those times when we, we feel this need to, to mourn and to weep and to, to cry out to God. Uh, they're found all through the book of Psalms. They're called Psalms of Lament. Uh, Psalm 142, with my voice I cry out to the Lord. With my voice I plead for mercy to the Lord. I pour out my complaint before him. I tell my trouble before him. Psalm 4, answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. Psalm 5, give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cry, my King and my God, for to you I pray. Uh, Johnny Cash on some of his later albums covered a lot of, of other songs. Uh, and on, I think it was American 5, uh, he, he covered... Uh, a song called The Evening Train, and it's not inspired, but it was written by Hank Williams, so that's something, I guess. Uh, but I think it's sort of a, it's a modern-day psalm of lament. Um, 
I could get Keith to play bomb chicka bomb and I could sing it, but I won't do that. Uh, I, I, I heard the laughter at the depot, but my tears fell like the rain when I saw them place that long white casket in the baggage coach of the evening train. The baby's eyes are red from weeping. Its little heart is filled with pain. Oh, daddy, he cried, they're taking mama away from us on the evening train. As I turned to walk away from the depot, it seemed I heard her calling my name. Take care of my baby and tell him, darling, that I'm going home on the evening train. I pray that God will give me courage to carry on till we meet again. It's hard to know she's gone forever. They're carrying her home on the evening train. A, a song uh, of lament during a time of, of tragedy. Uh, Scotty Smith, who's a, a pastor, a Presbyterian pastor, I think in, in Nashville, uh, wrote this prayer of lament in response to the, the tragedies in, in Paris. I wanted to read it to you. I thought it was really good. Dear Heavenly Father, another day of terror-making darkness, evil-doing madness, and life-taking sadness. How long, O oh Lord, how long before you send Jesus back to eradicate all evil? How long before the wicked will be no more? How much longer is just a little while? It's hard not to fret. It's hard not to feel fearful and angry when women and children, the young and old, are mercilessly slaughtered in the city of Paris. When restaurants, concert halls, and sports arenas become the venues for the perversion of religion, and the murder of your image bearers. Father, we offer a prayer, not in self-righteous judgment, but as your weary children, longing for the day when the knowledge of your glory will fill the earth as the waters cover the sea, when perfect peace will replace every expression of evil. Until that day, free us from all bitterness and a lust for revenge. Vengeance belongs to you, not to us. Make us warriors of peace and agents of hope. Our labors in the Lord are never in vain. The gospel of the kingdom will prevail. Defeated evil will be eradicated evil. The devil is filled with fury, for he knows his time is short. Make it much shorter, Father. Much shorter. Grant us wisdom to know what loving mercy, doing <coughs> justice, and walking humbly with you looks like in Paris and in our own communities. Replace our frets and fears with faith and trust and our rage and wrath with patience and courage. So very amen we pray in Jesus' triumphant and graceful name. Uh, sometimes as God's people, when we're <clears throat> under attack and we feel the, the weightiness of that, we weep. But that weeping should not be a weeping that <clears throat> turns inward but a weeping that actually turns upward to God, <clears throat> to the God of all comfort, crying out to him. Well, <clears throat> excuse me a second. We see the attack. Uh, we see the response. And then in the third scene, we see God acting. <clears throat> we see God acting. Verse 5, uh, we find Saul coming in from the field. He, he hears what has happened. The Spirit of God rushes onto him. 
his anger is greatly kindled. And the scene that follows, I won't go into all the particulars, but it's very reminiscent of scenes from Judges. Uh, a, a savior deliverer is raised up. He's empowered by the Spirit of God. He, he rallies the people of God, and then he leads them to victory. And what Israel needs to see in all this is that God has given them a king, and that that king has led them to victory, but the reason he was able to lead them to victory is because he was empowered by the Spirit of God. The Spirit in God, of God enabled Saul to lead the people to victory. And he acknowledges this in verse 13. He says, the Lord has worked salvation in Israel. It's God that's done it. It's God that works salvation. Now, what should that tell us when we're under attack, when we're at the end of our rope? Where is our hope? Who should we cry to? When things aren't going well in your family or, or with your children or, or with your work or there's some crisis in your life, when we're, we're desperate to see people embrace the gospel, uh, when we're seeking to, to, to plant a church, what do we do? We, we cry out to God that he would pour out his spirit. We look independence on him. And if we don't see anything happening, God says, well, keep doing that. He doesn't say, well, you tried it and it didn't work, so you can just all go home and forget about it. Uh, but he tells us to keep praying in Luke Chapter 11 is one of my favorite stories that Jesus tells. Which of you who has a friend who will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though, he will not get up and give him anything because... He is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? I think we ought to pray that continuously and pray for the pouring out of God's Spirit and, and, tell, and say to God, Lord, do what you have promised. Lord, do what you have promised. Respond to the prayers of your people and pour out your Spirit upon them. Uh, when, when, when we're under attack, when we're at the end of our rope, we have to know where to go. And that's to go to God and to cry out to him to give us his spirit and to pour out his spirit on us. Uh, I was listening to a, a podcast this week about, I think it's the Columbia University football team. And they've had three winning seasons in 50 years, for those of us who are struggling with a bad year. They've, they've had three winning seasons in 50 years. They lost every game for two years in a row. And so what they did is they went out, and the, the coach, I, where was it? I think it was at Penn, had recently retired, had more wins than anybody ever in the Ivy League. And they said, we got to get that guy. 
And so they went out and they hired that guy. They saw what their problem is. They saw somebody they, they thought could fix it, knew something about football. And so they went and they got him to be their coach. When we're in those losing seasons, when we're under attack, when we're in those desperate situations, we know where to go. The scripture tells us where to go. It's not a mystery. But do we go? Do we go to God? Do we cry out to him to, to pour out his spirit on his people and on his church? Well, <clears throat> they're under attack. People respond. God acts. He, he works deliverance. He brings uh, victory for his people. And then we come to scene four. Scene four. Uh, it's a scene of, of renewal and worship and rejoicing. Uh, Saul here is, is publicly installed uh, as king. At the end of chapter 10, somebody asked the question, how can this man save us? And then chapter 11 answers that question. Well, it's as he is enabled by the Spirit of God, he will be able to deliver us. And so God, Saul delivers Israel, and it's time now for them to show their commitment to the new king and for them, their, re, for them to renew their commitment to the king, for them that, to renew their commitment to God himself, to worship him, and to rejoice and celebrate what he's done in, in delivering his people again. Um, just a quick question. How do we respond when we see God work deliverance for us? When we, when we see his hand in our lives, does it lead us to, to rejoicing and to worship and to renewing our commitment to him? Well, in Luke 3, we read about another king who's anointed and empowered by the Spirit. Uh, Luke 3, verse 21, Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you. I am well pleased. King Saul, empowered by the Spirit, delivered God's people from the Ammonites. King Jesus delivered his people from sin and from death and from hell. King Saul led his people to a great military victory. King Jesus leads his people to victory by suffering, by dying on a cross for them by standing in their place as the one condemned. And that King Jesus, King Saul is dead and gone, but that King Jesus reigns even today. Reigns even today. And, and one day, the knowledge of that king will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea, and you can bank on that. In the meantime, we wait. And at times, we face attacks. And we weep and we cry out, come quickly, Lord Jesus. But even as we wait, we worship. We renew our commitment to the king and we celebrate that victory that he's already won for us at the cross. J.R.R. Tolkien once said, the world is indeed full of peril and in it there are many dark places but still there is much that is fair. And though in all lands love is now mingled with grief, it grows perhaps the greater. Or as a, a friend of mine, 
posted this on Facebook last night. Uh, he had he lived in D.C. around the time of 9-11 and lived in Boston around the time of the, the attacks there. He wrote this, To those behind the cowardly acts in Paris, Today a city is scared and people are mourning. You accomplished that. Also, today husbands and wives are remembering how blessed they are. And they are telling their kids how much they love them. Today a young man will decide to become a Marine or a soldier so that terror will not win. A seaman will apply to become a SEAL. Today a couple will decide to name their newborn daughter Paris so that the dead are remembered in a new life. Today, a missionary will give food and water and a New Testament in Arabic to a refugee in Athens. Today, a young man decided to be a missionary to a Muslim country, another to France. A couple decided to drive their old car another year so they could give money to missions reaching Muslims and atheists in Europe. Today, millions of people are praying for Paris, and they are praying for Iraq and Syria They are even praying for the fighters of ISIS that Christ might convert even you. And the Holy Spirit is at work in Paris and Damascus and in Tehran. Today my son will play soccer. A couple couple will get married. Those simple things will be all the sweeter after yesterday. The church will grow and Jesus will reign. You, with all your cowardly acts, helped accomplish all that as well. Well, Words from Tolkien, uh, words from my friend Steve, and I'll I'll close with with Jesus. Uh, In this world, you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Let me pray for us. Father, we don't like difficult days. We don't like thinking about them. Uh, But you tell us not to be surprised by them. And so we do pray that we would would take heart in the words of Jesus and take heart in the victory that Jesus has already won for us. Father, we do long to see the consummation of that victory. We long for the day the Lord Jesus returns and makes all things new. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Come quickly. Amen.